0: Well, let's pray and we'll get into Psalm 100. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. Lord, we are a grateful people. Uh, Lord, there are times in our life when it's so easy to to lose sight of um, the big picture of how you are working in our lives, in our midst. And so, Father, we pray that uh, this month of November, Lord, you would do a work in our hearts that um, really helps us to, to place our eyes, our hearts, our just all of our thoughts upon you. And Lord, we confess that often we are not a grateful people and we are easy to complain, easy to be uh, restless and um, ungrateful. And so, Father, we pray that you would do a, a work in our hearts deep within us. We ask this in Christ's good name. Amen. Psalm one hundred, five short verses. But I am going to read the subscript um, at the very top. A psalm for thanksgiving. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good, his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generations. Father, we do thank you for your word. Father, help us as we work through this passage, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Okay, as I said, throughout the pages of Scripture, thankfulness is just every, everywhere in the pages of Scripture. Um, Doing sort of a, a somewhat of a topical study for me. This is not in my. Um, this is not the way I prefer to teach. It's it, it's it's harder for me in a lot of ways, and so. Um, but I truly believe that throughout the whole of Scripture, uh, thankfulness is really commanded to us. Uh, Paul begins Ephesians one 3, uh, one three, the very beginning. He says that that we in Christ have been blessed with every spiritual blessing that we have, every spiritual blessing has been poured upon us. Um, And that should affect how we view the world, how we see things, how we understand things, how we sort of radiate uh, to the world, our families, on our own hearts, um, thankfulness. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, I'm not sure this, I may actually, uh, on the, the fourth week, focus on this verse in its entirety. We'll see how this plays out. But in 1 Thessalonians 5, 7, 5.18, it's actually the, the shortest um, verse in the Greek. You know, we know the shortest verse in the English is Jesus wept. But in the Greek, and not that the shortest verse means anything, but the shortest verse in the Greek is this one. And it says, in everything give thanks. Now, that's that in of itself is powerful, but it's the next phrase that really, catches my attention because over the years in my own life and i know each of us we've gone through seasons of wondering what is god's will for me in my life what does he expect from me but look what it says it says in everything give thanks for this is god's will for you in christ jesus that is um when i look at that verse it's terribly convicting um because as I look at the scripture and I see this, this command, this, this exhortation for us to be a grateful, thankful people, it seems to imply that we have a difficult time with us. This doesn't come naturally to us um, as fallen humans. I think that our culture embraces the fact that we're not good at thankfulness. If you think about it, this this is marketing 101, This is why infomercials exist. I can't tell you how many times I've seen an infomercial and I start thinking, how have I lived my whole life without this? I've even fallen for the trap of buying a couple of them. The the two that always come to my mind are the back straightener upper on a long cross-country flight in the little, you know, the marketing section of like things you can buy. And it was this like little plastic thing about the size of your back, two ridges with a hole in the middle. And it made it seem that it would solve all your back problems. i mean, well, I have back problems. I'm spending my money on this. I didn't take them up on the three easy payments, but the thing came and I essentially threw it away about a month later because it was worthless. And there are other things. Marketing just sort of, it plays off of the, you need this. We're approaching Christmas. And, and and Christmas in many ways in our culture, it, it starts to indoctrinate children that if you get this little whatever gadget, then your whole life is going to get better. And then they get it and they end up playing with the box. Not even the toy. And so this... This series, in many ways, is a reminder to myself to help to, to get back. Um, I think Thanksgiving or gratitude—not uh, Thanksgiving, the holiday—but Thanksgiving from an individual. Um, I, I think that it gets rid of um, fear. It gets rid of anxiety. It it it, um, it it's a byproduct, I think, of trust. And so this psalm. It begins with the subscript. See, see all the Psalms, um, you get into the rest of the Bible, and they start to break down paragraphs depending on your translation, and there could be various headings over the paragraph that the translators have added. But in the Psalms, when we see these subscripts, these, these are a part of the text. The Psalms is really the hymnal book for Israel. And so we come to Psalm 100. It really links into the previous psalms. But we're told here that the purpose of this psalm is that it's a psalm of thanksgiving. That the whole purpose of this psalm is to lead the people who are gathering to worship or working their way into the temple to to lead them into a spirit of thankfulness. And as I look at this, if you write in your Bible or not, I want to... Uh, point out a few things. In verses one through four, there's uh, there's about seven commands to do certain things, that these are the things that a thankful person is supposed to do, that these these actions create thankfulness. And then we come to verse five, and it sort of it gives the foundation that the reason that we do these external things is that these external things are born out of the foundation of verse 5, that this is the reason that we do all of this stuff. And so today I'm compelled to sort of uh, look at verse 5. We're going to go backwards. I'm going to go to verse 5. I'm going to teach through and explain verse 5, and then we're going to back through, uh, go back to verse 1 so that we understand the foundation of what these things um, are a result of. Uh, verse 5 simply says, "...for the Lord is good, His loving kindness is everlasting, and His faithfulness to all generations." And so, um, thinking about this, sort of, um, I believe that God is trying to get us to, to to have our eyes upon Him. October was a month where I did a number of weddings, and it's weddings are always fun; they're enjoyable. Um, the day before the wedding rehearsal is where things are kind of. It always there's little things that crack me up, because. Uh, not always, ten- thankfully, these last two weddings, there wasn't a whole lot of tension. They were very relaxed brides, and uh, but they had large wedding parties, so so I don't even know. I think they both had like, you know, down one side, there's like nine people this way, and on my other side, there's like nine people the other way, and the night before, you have to kind of coordinate everybody how they're going to do their entrance, and where they're supposed to end up, And and everybody gets there, and they're like, well, where do we look? Where do we stand? What do we do? And where do we put our hands? And, and, and what about sunglasses and all these things? And I find that my purpose, no matter how wound up the wedding coordinator is trying to get everybody, say, this is all you need to do, is realize nobody's looking at any of you. No, they could care less about all of you. Everybody's always looking at the bride. And that's all you need to do. It doesn't matter. You just keep your eyes on the bride. And now for the bride, the only exception, you can look at the groom. But everybody else, the eyes are on the bride. And I think that there's a lesson in this for understanding gratitude is that God wants us to keep our eyes on him. Now, the, the, the break, it breaks down this illustration because we're the bride of Christ and he would be the groom. But our eyes are to be on him, and if our eyes are on him, everything balance out. And so the very first phrase, there's three phrases in verse 5. The very first one is, for the Lord is good. And I believe that thankfulness begins with this understanding of who God is. Um, If we understand who God is, and the psalmist begins with this this simplicity, this statement of, uh, for the Lord is good. And if we keep our eyes and our hearts understanding that God is good, that's a, that's a sort of a mourning, a, a tether that we have to him, that as we focus upon his goodness, as we consider it, as we meditate it, as we, um, if you just go through your day thinking, saying to yourself, God is good, it's going to reorientate your perspective of everything. I think of Keith Green's song. It's one of my favorite, Make My Life a Prayer to You. And there's a line in there that I think sort of embodies uh, this this thought, uh, for the Lord is good. Um, the idea that we're to keep our eyes on him, but the problem is we always take our eyes off of him. And Keith Green sort of openly, he says, oh, it's hard to see when my eyes are on me. Because the reality is we think the whole world revolves around us and everything that uh, that happens we see it sort of, well, how does this affect me? What good, how does it, what's in it for me? How, how am I going to benefit from this? And then as we start looking at ourselves, sort of our, our mooring, our tether to God sort of is, is snapped or we get a lot of slack and we move away from thankfulness and gratitude. If our eyes are upon him, we recognize how many blessings that we have. I don't know how I ended up there this week, but for some reason, I decided to go check out a few atheist websites. There's atheist websites. For people who don't believe in anything, they sure have a whole lot of uh, teaching on how to think and do and act and believe. And and I'm like, I wonder, how how do atheists handle Thanksgiving? (laughs) And on one of them, I don't know if it was atheist.com or whatever, like, or... uh, it might have been atheist. I should have gotten a, a sighting, but right on the front about Thanksgiving, there was a whole sort of um, teaching on how to handle Thanksgiving because this this could create problems if we um, our, our our nation they they begin to explain is so quick to, to turn to, to gods and to religion and and these things and so how do we keep our kids straight so they don't turn to God and and how do we handle Thanksgiving? It was really kind of funny the. The, the strain in which they were putting and so they write this this is right from their website there are many people whom we think we should thank because of how they helped us either live at all or just to live better a common thread in these cases is precisely the the fact that it is humans who are responsible for that which we should be thankful so it is humans who we should be thanking at no point are gods involved even if they exist gods aren't responsible for that which we should be thankful. There is no point in thanking them. This is a line that caught my attention. On Thanksgiving, don't waste time with prayers, poems, or gods, or empty religious rituals. Instead, do something meaningful like talking to your children about the human beings who work hard and often anonymously to improve our lives. Stop to reflect on these people and how your life has been benefited. Now, on one vein, it's not bad to give thanks to people. But this whole removal of God, it's sort of your whole bearing is off base. Um, Like this Thanksgiving psalm, this psalm forces everybody to focus on God. And I think as we focus on God, we can give thanks to people. If you do a study of, I thank God in, in the Bible, you'll, you'll come up with a series of places. I, I, there's in Philippians and Romans and a, a number of Paul's writings. In Romans 1, eight is one example. At the very opening of the book of Romans, as Paul's writing to these people who he's never met, he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. And so there's clearly biblical instruction to be thankful for people. There's nothing wrong with thanking people. Thanking people for your mom and dad, for your friends, for your, your play, people at your work, uh, people who have influenced you. But for the follower of God, for the one who knows Christ, our are, are mourning to the goodness of God, that we thank God for placing these people in our lives, and we thank God for these people, because ultimately the scientists who have that wiring to um, to, 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 to solve problems medically, the the, the scientists of, on the computer guys who write wonderful code that we can have smartphones that can do all things, like the, the, for the doctors who ha, are gifted and skilled to be able to, to do things for us, for the engineers who make vehicles for us, to the construction guys who can build wonderful houses and the plumbers who can make the plumbing plumb. Like all you need is your plumbing to go out, to realize how thankful you are for the simple thing of flushing a toilet. There is nothing more embarrassing than trying to flush a toilet and it not to work. And you have a problem that you will try to solve at all possibilities on your own. But if you can't do it, you can't do it. And then you need help. And then suddenly plumbers are the most amazing humans on the face of the earth. They're wonderful. We're thankful for them. but I thank God for gifting people in the way, like gifting people who are not like me. So the Lord is, for the Lord is good. And, and back to this, the Lord being good. Well, remember that Jesus in Luke 8, 18, 19, um, remember the young rich ruler, I think it was, that approached him and said, good teacher. And Jesus stops him. He says, ah, there's none that's good. Only God is good. The teacher said, of course, and Jesus implying that he is God. So, so this, this goodness of God is exclusively limited to God. So we can say, oh, there's good people. That's, when we say there's good people, and, and don't hear me the wrong way, of course there's good people. But the goodness of man, it's always in comparison to other humans. It's not in comparison to God, who is the ultimate good. And I think that there can be a struggle here if you have an earthly father that wasn't necessarily the best or abusive. And it sort of skews our understanding of who God is. That our earthly fathers sort of give us the baseline of the understanding of who God is. And if we had a poor earthly father, then it's not not about bashing your earthly father. It's about realigning your thoughts and coming to understand who God is. And throughout the pages of Scripture... We read words like this, that this is where the psalmist simply, for the Lord is good. Richard Strauss says this about the goodness of God. Because God is himself the highest and greatest good, he is also the source and foundation of all other good. He does good things. He extends his goodness to others. It is his nature to be kind, generous, and benevolent to demonstrate goodwill toward men and to take great pleasure in making them happy because God is good. He wants us to have what we need for our happiness and sees that it is available to us. Every good thing we now enjoy or every hope to enjoy flows from him and no good thing has ever existed or ever will exist that does not come from his good hand. It's beautiful. that Because God is good, this just flows into everything. You know, last week when Daniel preached, there, was, <clears throat> there were a couple things that really, he, he grasped my attention that, that sort of um, stuck with me throughout the week. <clears throat> well, the first one I don't need to share when he was, well, I mean, <laughs> well, it sets the stage. You know, he's talking about the prophet. And he starts describing a guy with long hair and a beard. And I thought he was about to like set himself up to describe himself, but he wasn't even talking about himself. But we're just like, Daniel, you're describing yourself. But then he moves on and he starts talking about the the fallen nature of the world and how this world and its fallenness isn't what God intended. But through his beard and his hair, you could see his eyes that just had a beauty of like joy. And he says, even in the midst of this fallen world, isn't it great? With this smile, and all the goodness in this world, it all comes from the creator who created it. And to take our eyes off of this, it leads us down a bad path of ingratitude, discontentment, complaining, spoiled little brats. I don't know, I think it was Marcus Preciado who I first, it's not unique to him, but I think it's from worship-ish people, you know, worship in the sense of music. I'm a worship guy. I, just not, I, I worship in other ways. It's not a musically uh, founded. Um, but there's that saying, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. They say that all the time. They just walk around. And it's like, it's so true. And if we just focus upon God's goodness, it changes us. I'm going to warn you guys, there will be an opportunity for you to give thanks to God publicly today at the end of the service. Just so, keep that in the back of your mind. So from his goodness, for the Lord is good, it flows into his loving kindness is everlasting. So we have this this everlasting concept that this is eternal. That this isn't um, that, that God always was, he he is, and he will always be. God is eternal. We are created. We have a starting point. God always is, and we're talking about his nature. And in, in the English. The word we end up with is this loving kindness. This in Hebrew, um, I probably need more fluid in my my throat to get it right, but the word is hased. And it's a profound word that in English we lack. We we just don't have the we don't have the word to explain this word hased. And so we've come up with Loving kindness is is one word. This whole this idea of being kind and loving sort of put together somewhat may convey the thought of this word. Another word, sort of a, a loyal, sort of dependent love. Um, this week I had no idea about it, and it was everywhere out there. I, so much so, where I had to text Ben. I'm like, Ben, have you heard about Hesed and the stork? He's like, No, I haven't. I'm like, uh, Well, I think it's true. Can you can you can you do some fact checking to see if I'm off? But Man, I read this from a guy, Stephen Cole, and then as we sort of went around, it's like, this is authentic. I wish I had learned this way back when. So the Hebrew word has said has a direct link to the word stork. And so it comes from the word stork. The Hebrews noticed how storks had an uncommon love for and protection of their young. They would build their nests securely in the high trees, you can read about this in Psalm 104:17. If you want to skip forward, and uh, to, you know why I move on, you guys are, can chase a little rabbit there. Uh, Psalm 104:17. It talks about the stork, um, and so they said, God's love for His own is like that. He nurtures us and protects us from all enemies. He cares for us and feeds us. His love does not depend on us, but His eternal nature, which is good. This all flows for the Lord is good, his loving kindness. This this idea that God, in his goodness, there's this everlasting sort of love and care and loyalty to those which he created. Like we're going to see in this psalm that none of us created ourselves, that that we have a creator who created us. We have a a shepherd and we're his sheep. uh, He is the potter and we're the clay. And so we've been created by him. He loves us. He cares for us. He will care for us. There's this promise or this reminder of the worshiper that if we understand that God is good and that he has this loving kindness, this loyal love, this nurture, the picture of the stork up in the tree that goes above and beyond how they care for their they're young in comparison to other birds, I guess, that that's the picture that they saw in describing this sort of, this love that God has for us. I think when we're not thankful, or at least when I'm not thankful, when I have my eyes on me and not on him, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to, to think that, um, uh, you know, as the, my, not that I use this big English word, but because i 've read through that uh, the book i can 't think of the name of uh, the, the, you know the oh, it 's killing me uh, it 's really famous it 's like about the, the the parable of the Christian wanderer through life you know young Christian you guys help me it 's pilgrim 's progress that 's the book but throughout that book there's there 's the character despondency it 's so easy to get despondent in life where we we feel so disconnected from God that it's God's not involved and he's not doing anything for us. And, and we're hopeless and helpless. And it's, it, the weight of that, it, it takes away gratitude. And the psalmist here says, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. Don't lose sight of that. And his faithfulness to all generations. And faithfulness speaks to his reliability to the, the things that he said. This week, I've been thinking, like, so his faithfulness to all generations, what things are God, what what, what is he faithful about? So the first thing that jumps out at me as I'm saying the word of God is the word of God. There are many promises in here. There there are, there's hope, there's there's promises about our security in Christ, our salvation. Like, we stumbled across, or I stumbled across this song, and I was like, hey, Don, what do you think about this song? And. And the whole, I've had that line stuck in my head all week. And I'm not complaining. I'm thankful for it. Thank you, God, for saving me. I like found myself waking up this week going, thank you, God, for saving Sorry for singing to you guys, but for saving me. Like God's word is true. He's faithful. He, he desires to bring us comfort, security, provision. I think of the Lord's prayer, this prayer. When provision then was like food, and I think provision now is, is, is the same thing, but, but there's the weight of all those bills that, for your provision at the end of the month. And where, as God, is God going to provide? Am I, am I going to be able to make it? And I think that there's hope in the Scriptures that God loves you. He cares for you. He wants to, to provide for you. He gives you peace. Romans 5.1, that we have peace with God through Christ. We, we can count on him. And as we focus on him, his goodness, his loving kindness, his faithfulness, it should sort of well up in us, sort of this desire to praise him, to thank him, which is sort of the, the transition back to verse 1. So verse 1 says, the first phrase here, Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Um, the the picture how this psalm was used is they would be uh, for the major feast and they would be working their way into the temple and and this psalm often was as they are um, making their way into the temple courts there's this command to to shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth not just the Jews this is everybody all creation shout joyfully to the Lord there's a sense of excitement that you're so bubbling up in gratitude of who God is and how he's provided and cared for you and given you this life and so many good things. To name them, you could all day long, you should be able to list things that you're thankful for and this idea of to come, to gather, to worship. I think this is what like the worship service, that the importance of gathering collectively as a community to come and to worship him. This this picture of this shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. That The picture I've had is little kids. There's something just that warms the heart of like everybody. To, to look out on like a playground or a swimming pool. Like I think of like the summertime. To hear kids, you know, there's no, there's a, there's a period where there's no squabbling, and there's no, they're just all like frolicking, and the giggles and the joy that, you, that that you, like as an adult, I wish I could go back to like that that period of just joyfulness and carefreeness, and I think that this is the, the picture that God wants to see from His children that He will care for you. He is caring for you. We. Weigh ourselves down with worry and anxiety and things as if there's no God that's involved in our lives. And so we're to enter his gates or to shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Then he goes on from this serve the Lord with gladness. Throughout the scriptures, we see, I think of Ephesians two ten, for we are his workmanship poema, that we are like God's poems. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in Him. So the idea of walking with God, as we walk with God, as we worship Him, that God has created us for a, a purpose of, of serving Him in some capacity. And, and so to to, to to I'm trying I'm struggling with how to articulate this. There are many who I believe are Christians who are totally disconnected from the body, who are not involved, who are not serving in any way. I believe that they'll go to heaven if they've given their lives to Christ, but they've hamstrung themselves. They can't grow. They can't continue to, to develop their relationship with God because God in his creating us has created us to serve him, to walk with him, that we've been created for a purpose, for involvement, Throughout the New Testament, there's this picture of that the church is is a body and every part is needed. And that you, each one of you who is here, who is a Christian, you have been gifted to serve in a capacity in a special way that only you can do. And that we as a body, we need you to serve. And for those of us who serve, we need to be reminded with gladness our hearts are so prone to wander and to serve God it comes with joy Tuesday nights bible study at the frederick's house we we had a rough chapter i mean not a rough chapter it was like a kind of like this picture of end times and all of the, you know the stuff and we went through it and 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 half my family was at, sick at home and i drove home with grace and the discussion of heaven sort of came up she had all sorts of questions that I could answer about heaven, and I always get the question. You know, there's always the question: Will, will our will our dogs be in heaven? Nobody's ever really said that. They're, will there? I've never got the question: Will our cats be in heaven? But Grace starts saying, "Dad, will we be able to create stuff in heaven?" I'm like, "That's a, I've never heard that." I'm like, "What What do you mean?" And she's like, "Well, I love like drawing and crafts, and and I'm like, you know, that's really fascinating because." We as humans, created beings, we're told from all of creation we're different, and that we're created in the likeness of God, and God is a God who creates. And she's looking at me like, what do you mean he creates? Is this is what he created the earth in six days that he took a break. And we're told that we're made in his likeness and his image, and the reason that humans are so creative. I mean it's amazing to think historically what human beings have created. And this desire to create and and to build and to draw and to do arts and crafts and to make jewelry, this this is I think the likeness of God that's sort of coming out, this this picture of serving the Lord with gladness. And so maybe there'll be arts and crafts in heaven. I don't I mean, I if if God is a creator who enjoys art and beauty and, and how he's done everything, I, I don't know but that we're to serve him with gladness. And he he says uh, to come before him with joyful singing. That gives me so much hope. Joyful singing. Um, You know, singing was one of those things when I became a Christian, it was the weirdest thing. Um, For much of my life going to the Catholic church, and in the Catholic church, there wasn't a lot of singing period like in any of the services uh, when I was growing up. But, But even in that my family went to the very first service to avoid what little singing there was in the Catholic Church, and so i wasn 't exposed to singing growing up like it just wasn 't it, it wasn 't a part of anything of my existence and so then, when I became a Christian or in the process of becoming a christian i I found myself in these Protestant churches where like music is a, a, a large part of the worship service like it's a it's a sizable portion and it was very strange to me early on like i'd sit there kind of like are we through this part yet like can we can we just get to like where the guy starts talking so that i can figure out what's going on but then but then as i really as i became a christian as i gave my life to christ and i started understanding that the time of worship it wasn't just like a concert to warm us up for the the real speaker it was really that that this was people they were singing to their lord to their creator and it was worshiping him and then worship through music really changed me where i would sing and participate it's terrible when i if you can hear me a there's a couple people when they, the recording is I, the microphone is on, it's muted for you guys, but it's being recorded, my singing. And I am fearful that Melanie and Ben are stashing these away to to get me someday. <laughs> Cause it's, I listen to it and I'm like, oh, it's horrible. And Don on Tuesday, he has a prayer request. He's like, well, I really want to try to be more engaging. And I, He's talking about the music stand and how he's trying to get a low, and he's going, and I'm thinking he's about to, like, get, he's, I'm like, Don, am I, because I stand, like, two feet from him when I'm singing. I'm like, Don, do you need me to move? Like, do you need me to go to the other side to mess with Ann or something? Like, do you need me to, like, change? He's like, no, no, your singing is fine, but you're clapping. We need to talk about Well, he's always talking about one in three, so I figured I'd go for one in three. But I guess it's not, I have no idea what it's all about. So that's why I, I tend not, we, and we are really, not, we need key people here to be clapping so I can follow along. I enjoy clapping, but I don't have the confidence just to really, like, do it. Where was I? Um, yes. Come before him with joyful singing. That That singing is about the heart. And I think that this is something, I think, for, like, worship leaders and worship teams, like there's this this balance of striving for for excellence that we want to to, to play well with skill. But I think that on the other end is the more important end, is that God cares about our hearts. And I've learned over the years when I start hearing complaints about like a worship song, it's like, well, the first place we have to examine is the condition of our heart. And that God wants us to sing joyfully, that that, that it's okay to have joy. We should be a joyful people, because remember, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. His faithfulness to all generations, that should give us some joy. And then from there, verse 3, he says, Know that the Lord himself is God. This kind of goes back to how I started backwards. That the whole foundation, that the, that the starting point This is a profound verse. It seems so simple. Know that the Lord himself is God. Know that God is God. God is. He exists. There is a God. He created everything. Um, He wants us to know that he exists, that he is real, that we can communicate with him. Many years ago now, I probably, I think it was in 1999. I found myself down in Australia. I was with my platoon, and we had to do—we were doing a bunch of stuff like off time, so we're we're kind of sightseeing and you know, seeing the locals in the bars and that sort of thing. Like it wasn't really like Christian. I'm—we're tagging along, and somehow somebody in the platoon had linked up with this guy Peter, and all I knew is that I had all of my SEAL buddies that were with me who I knew, but then there's this guy, Peter, and he had a handful of people with him and he was Australian. And he just, some whoever bumped into him sort of just invited us him into the fold. And so everywhere we went, he was there with his like group of people. And he was just kind of like one of us. And I, I, I didn't really engage with him a whole lot, but I was amongst our group enough to where I'm like cracking up. They're just like, harassing this guy to no end and he was like dishing it back and like they were having a, a, a great time like i mean days and days and days he was just with us and near the end it was really towards the end of the whole event he left to go to the bathroom and i remember this little she was i mean she was an adult but she was this tiny little australian girl to this whole seal platoon she started chewing us out she said, like, Guys, do you have any idea who that is? I can't take this anymore. We're looking at her like, it's Peter. She's like, He's a photographer. I'm like, Yeah, he's been talking about this gallery he has. He wants us to go see his gallery, but who wants to go see art? Like, I don't like That's kind of was our reaction where they're, they're kind of going back and forth with her. And she said, like, Guys, do you have any idea who Ansel Adams is? Yeah, that's a great American photographer. Beautiful landscapes. She's like, This is Peter Lick. And he is Australia's Ansel Adams. And you guys are just treating him like he's one of you. And I can't take it anymore. You guys are a bunch of idiots. And you're an idiot. This is Peter Lick. And so we're like, so we should go check out his gallery. <laughs> so I did. And it was like, whoa. Like, his photo- his pictures were like $20,000, $40,000. So I bought the coffee tail table, like book, and uh, took it home. And then Ann and I, a couple years later, we got married. We went to San Francisco, and we were at Pier 39. We're walking down Pier 39 at the, Guess what? Studio is at the end of Pier 39. There's a Peter Lick Studio. I'm like, man, I met this guy, but I never really like talked to him about like this stuff. And um, my my point is, I have a point. It's it's critical to understand who God is. I think that Peter liked hanging out with us because we just treated him like peter he wasn 't some like super famous photographer like that was world renowned with studios like we just treated him like probably he hadn't been treated since he was a little boy with his like neighborhood kids. but had we known who he was, there would have been a whole lot more respect and and uh awe and appreciation of who he was. We probably, when he had offered us to like, get a behind-the-scenes tour of his studio, we probably would have taken him up on it, but none of us did because we didn't know. And so the psalmist writes to us, know that the Lord himself is God. We come to God like he's a, a rabbit's foot, like, oh yeah, well, like sure, God bless you. God bless America. We have no clue when we come before, we worship God. That God spoke creation into existence. He formed you. He knows you. He, your the hairs on your head are numbered by Him. And this should affect how we come before Him and worship. We show up for a worship service. Oh, I didn't like that song, or oh, I, uh, the pastor didn't give me any meat, or what, like. We complain about just every little thing. And I'm not like we, I'm part of the we. And the psalmist says, know that the Lord Himself is God. Get your eyes up at Him. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. Did anybody in this room make yourself? Nobody stood up, just it's this reminder that you are created. Every one of us. We are not ourselves. Like, we don't own ourselves. The Scripture makes it clear that God created all, saved or unsaved. He is the potter, we're the clay. He's the shepherd, we're his sheep. I even look at 2 Peter 2.1, one of these great passages. Peter's talking about false prophets. It says, 2 Peter 2.1, but false prophets... Also arose amongst the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. So these are bad people. These these are the people that Daniel didn't want us to become to start cults last week, twice, maybe more. I don't know. But he but some of you, I guess he's worried that you're going to start a cult. So he you know, he, these are people who were introducing destructive heresies against the church. They were not believers. And then notice what it says here, midway through, it says, denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. So the psalmist makes it clear that he, it is he who has made us. God created everything. You can walk through this life and you can deny that there's no God and he's not in control and he, oh, it's, it's... religion god this is personal what i believe is what i believe and what you believe is what you believe and and it doesn't matter if they conflict no 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 the bible makes it absolutely clear that god is god and he's the creator he's the one who tells us how things are done how we're to to live how we're to worship him we we like to make ourselves gods we like to write our own rules we like to say i, I Ah, I don't, this page is no good in the Bible, so we rip it out. We, <laughs> that one's too hard. He's God. We are not the creator. He's the creator. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. And therefore, as they're, I get this picture, as they're entering the, 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 the temple gates, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Gratitude. Now, all this stuff is true. We're to enter His gates, and how do we enter His gates? Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me." That at His death, the temple, the veil was torn in two. That we have access. That we can enter His gates with thanksgiving. Thanks be to God through Christ. He says, "Give thanks to Him, bless His name." So as we enter into the gates with thanksgiving and the course with praise, I understand that there are times in our life, there are seasons when we don't necessarily feel like this. I know that, um, you know, going to church on Sundays, going to fellowship, participating, being a part of the body, there are times when, um, when it's just difficult when when there there are things in your life uh, th- that are weighing you down, maybe you're being disciplined by God. Um, I remember that there were times when when I was really like in in my the one that comes to mind is I remember when Ann and I we'd lost our first child in miscarriage. Everybody knew that she was pregnant, and this is like we were just so excited that she was pregnant. We tell the whole world like like right when we found out. Then we lost the baby like at you know eight weeks later, nine weeks later. Anna could tell you exactly. I just, it was a, a season for me. I, I mean, it, but I remember after she lost the baby, there was like, we didn't want to go to church. Like there was within us, like, I don't want to go. I'm not feeling like being around the people. I don't want to like answer all the questions. I don't want to, but we went. The Bible tells us that we're to be thankful with those, like rejoice with those who are rejoicing weep with those who are weeping. And so I'd suggest that as the, if you're in those moments where your heart isn't like you want to be worshiping, what I found is as I go and worship, I walk away so thankful that I win. It's like, that's exactly what we needed. And I see in those moments of people when they're going through a hard time, what they do is they tend to withdraw from church and church family and the community of believers. And as a pastor, it breaks my heart. Um, those who are wandering, I see it. And it's like what they need is to be back, but they don't want to come back. because. And it's like, so the very thing that they, they really truly need is the very thing that they are not doing. And I think upon the old hymn, that says, When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And I think that there's a valuable lesson in that. So, so the psalmist is not saying as you enter the gates with thanksgiving that we're supposed to be joyful. This is what God, God desires us to be, to joyfully singing. But the Bible is very clear that there, there are seasons when the, the follower of God is going through difficulties. But I think there's a profound lesson there that at the time of your most despondency, that those are the times that you most need to be thankful to get out a pen and paper and to write down, I'm thankful for this. You look at me I don't have anything to be thankful for. I'm like, what? No. You. I'm thankful that I have breath. I'm thankful that I can see. I'm thankful that I can hear. I'm thankful that I can walk. I'm thankful that we could go on and on and on. And as we give thanks, it puts our eyes back on Him. And we're reminded that we have a God who is good, we have a God whose loving kindness is everlasting. We have a God who is faithful to all generations. So we have a a God who's sovereign, that regardless of what you're going through, God is greater than, than that struggle and that trial. And when you're going through those trials and those difficulties, and you can't make sense of why this is happening, there is something about knowing who God is and that God is good. He's loving kindness. He's sovereign. And so whatever it is, he's working this for the, for the greater picture of something that you may not even see this side of heaven. Again, 1 Thessalonians 5, 5.18, powerful, powerful words. That it is God's will for you in Christ Jesus that you give thanks in everything. And so the psalmist, the very last section... Or the very last, the very end of verse four, he says, "Give thanks to him, bless his name." And I think that this picture of of giving thanks to God, blessing his name, for the the saying of Piper, John Piper has like sort of made his life around this um, this this principle. And I think the saying goes, I didn't really look it up; it's just out of my memory. That he says that God um, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied. In him, in this picture of the one who has this relationship with Christ, uh, w- with our Creator, that we can be satisfied in him because we recognize what Ephesians 1 3 says that we've been given every spiritual blessing. It doesn't say we've been given every monetary blessing, it says that in Christ we have every spiritual blessing, that there is no spiritual blessing that has been withheld from us. And so, in that alone, that's enough to give thanks to God forever. But there is something about articulating verbally, give thanks to him, that that we should be giving out the signal of, of gratitude and thankfulness. All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you. That in itself could be the prayer. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, that you'd open our minds and hearts, Lord, to see Lord, how many things we actually have to be thankful for. Father, I pray that this day and each day, Lord, that we would um, be aware, Lord, of the condition of our heart, Lord. I pray that your spirit would convict us if we um, complain, if we murmur against you. Father, I pray that you would turn us into a thankful people, that deep within our souls we would have gratitude, Lord, knowing that you're a God, knowing that you are good, knowing that your loving kindness is everlasting. We thank you for your faithfulness. Father, we pray that you would um, just help us to know who you are um, more and more each day. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.